dare great things for Christ. Christ calls us to dare great things. In the marketplace, as well as in the mission field, there has never been a time like the present for the spirit of the Catholic entrepreneur. Now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture. Now is the time to dare great things. And here is your host as we dare great things, Father Nathan Cromley, the president and founder of the St. John Institute. All of us need models for leadership. Amongst the many candidates, the Virgin Mary certainly merits our special attention. Even though she held no office, did not run a company, and had no rank in the military, the Mother of Jesus is believed by Christians to be the Queen of Heaven and Earth. But what makes her leadership so special? In this 12th of the 13-part series on the Virgin Mary, I look at her assumption, body and soul into heaven, as an indicator of what is greatest in her leadership, the fact that it was totally focused on love. Welcome back, everybody. So glad that you're back with us again. We're doing this course on Mary, and I just, I'm, I'm so excited to be able to do it and, and to take the, the chance to really push you intellectually to go somewhere with your faith that you may not be used to going. And I've been talking about leadership from the point of view of the Virgin Mary and the life of the Virgin Mary from the point of view of leadership is definitely a place not many people have gone before, right? But I want to do it because, I mean, I am a Catholic priest and Catholics believe that Mary was assumed body and soul into heaven and that she was crowned there as queen of heaven and earth. And we celebrate that in our calendar. Now, I know that Mary is a point of, of division with respect to other Christian denominations who afford her less importance. And I respect that. I think that everyone, though, Catholic or not, can appreciate the power latent within the Catholic doctrine. I mean, we hold that Mary, at the end of her earthly pilgrimage, was assumed body and soul into heaven and glorified by Christ immediately meaning that she enjoys now the full fruits of the resurrection that we will all enjoy one day when we are all taken up, you know, into the glory at the end of time. Now, what's powerful about this in particular is that it means that when we see the Virgin Mary in her assumption, we're literally looking at the glorification of who she is, meaning the external manifestation of what was internally present, what was inside of her is now made manifest on the outside. And this is why we, we then call her queen, because what she lived on the inside was so profound, so beautiful, so wonderful in grace that when it was finally made manifest and everyone could see it, well, she becomes a leader, right? I mean, it's like she points everyone visibly and actively towards the glory of her son in a way that you really can't go around. And in this way, she becomes a leader, right? But in a beautiful truth, a leader on the outside because of who she was on the inside. And in particular, this is beautiful with Our Lady because she, for us, on the outside while on the earth, she had no position, no military rank, no business to run. She was a simple Mediterranean peasant, right? Who, who just was living her life at, and yet at the same time was used by God and who cooperated with God so incredibly intimately on the inside. 
And this is why I think she's such an example of what it means for us to lead as Christians. Because many people think that leadership is something that has to be bestowed upon you by the forces that be in society, right? Other people recognizing that you are important and giving you importance in the social realm. Then, then they'll call you a leader. But that's not the Christian way. That's not the truth. The truth is, in God's eyes, God uses the small hidden things to transform the world in the most profound of ways. God doesn't like imitation. He doesn't like replacement. He doesn't like anything that's false. God changes things in truth, which means that any human being who in, in the depths of their heart claims their freedom, claims their identity, claims their principles of life and lives accordingly, will be used by God to advance his reign in the most marvelous of ways. And, and, and everything else is a secondary form of leadership. The most profound leadership is a leadership that is one of character, one of who you are. And it's the most difficult aspect about leadership. Right? On the outside, then, I mean, being able to speak well, smile well, tell jokes, manage people, give new ideas, organize work. That's all really important stuff. But let's remember its role, right? All those things, what they do is they enable you to take what's inside of you and to make it have an impact in the world around you. And so it's very important, but it's important in a secondary kind of way. It's important as a how. It's how we extend our influence. Yes, but what is our influence? Oh, that's a, that's a harder thing, right? That's something we have to conquer from the inside to actually become the good people that God wants to send into his world. Well, and it's funny because a lot of times today, anyway, you hear people kind of poo-pooing that notion, saying, well, you know, it doesn't really matter what it is to be good. We can't even define what a good person is. What's really important is how you wield power. And I'd like to say, no, that's exactly the opposite of a Christian vision of leadership. A Christian vision of leadership begins with who you are begins with your character, begins with what kind of perfection you've brought to your soul, right? And then we recognize that God can put us in a position in society that will allow him then to use us, right, to make an influence on others. And so we kick in all of the skills of leadership that we know we need to do and we need to develop in ourselves. But it would be an error for us really to accept that leadership is, does not begin with substance and truth in character. Otherwise, what influence are we actually giving? And this is the challenge that I'm really making to you and the challenge about Christian leadership that's different from a worldly form of leadership. In a worldly form of leadership, you are a part of the machine, right? So the machine dictates that you need, we need a leader to effectuate the action of others. We put you there in order to make the influence of the machine, whatever machine that is, whatever organization it is. The organization itself has certain objectives to meet and people to bring us to those objectives they call leaders. And so that organization could be big. It could be a social organization. It could be small. It could be like a business. It could also be a household. And the leader becomes a cog in the machine that, that perpetuates itself. But this is not the, the vision of a Christian leader. This is what's so neat about Christian leadership. In Christian leadership, we actually engage a freedom that directs the organization itself. We're not just here to reach organizational objectives. 
We're here to, to advance the organization towards its authentic fulfillment for the benefit, the true benefit of all the members. There's another standard, in other words, operating inside of us, another set of parameters that's bigger than whatever individual task we have at hand. That, in that, that bigger perspective is the law of God and the breath of the Holy Spirit and the will of God to genuinely advance and lift up every organization of which we are a part. So Christian leaders continue to lead. We continue to make sure that the bills are paid and that people are hired and that, that onboarding processes are followed. And, and, and it, but we lead with a deeper perspective. We lead the how in the perspective of the why. And our why is the most beautiful and deep and truest of all of the purposes any organization could have. It's very important to see this because that means that we require from a leader who's leading in a Christian perspective, a deeper, fuller strength, a strength that comes from the inside. The influence, in other words, is not simply one of how we direct other people. The influence that a Christian leader brings is how that we direct other people towards what is authentically great. And that, that sense of the good well, that has to come from deep down inside of our own hearts. This is why when God uses a Christian leader, he always requires from us that we be authentic, that we be true ourselves before we lead other people. Because if we're not true, then we can't bring other people into that truth. And that's a high standard, I know. But that's why you're here. And that's why we're here at the St. John Leadership Network to help you. Would you like to hear more from Father Nathan? Join the St. John Leadership Network and receive a two-minute glance at the gospel every Sunday morning right to your phone. To learn more, go to www.stjohnleadershipnetwork.org member and join for free today. So I want to continue our meditation with you on the life of the Virgin Mary as the Queen of Leaders. We've already looked at various stages in her life, various moments like the Annunciation, the birth of Jesus, the flight to Egypt, her role with the apostles. And I want to focus us in now on Mary's assumption into heaven. And you know, this assumption really says a lot about her kind of leadership. Because in the assumption, what's revealed is who Mary is, right? How she loved, how she lived. What we believe about the assumption of the Virgin Mary is that it's, it's when the fullness of grace that was deep down inside of her soul blossomed into glory and a glory so profound that her body was taken up into it and she was taken up body and soul into heaven glorified in the same living in the same way that we also will be glorified at the end of time when all the dead are raised and we will live with Christ forever so she simply goes before us as the first fruit so to speak of the redemption of Christ's redemption on earth and she, she enjoys now what we will all enjoy at the end of time, right? And what does she enjoy? She enjoys the splendor of God's grace being given to every aspect of who she is, even in her body. So we Catholics celebrate this every August 15th. It's a holy day of obligation. I'm sure you all know well about it. But why is it so important for us who are leaders? It's so important because Mary's entire life was focused on obeying God and loving the way that he wanted her to love. Loving St. Jo Joseph, loving her son, 
loving St. John and the church through him and, and loving as a mother. And many of us would look and say, well, how is it possible that a mother be an example of great leadership? I'm like, that's just it. She's the greatest example of leadership because it's a rare thing to find a form of leadership that's more demanding than that of a mother. Because everything in a mother is about who she is, her character. When a mother mothers, she passes on what she knows and who she is on the inside to her children. It's the most intimate bond that there is. There, it, because there's nothing that you can do to fake it. You know, if you're really someone's mother, then you're giving your heart to your children. And I want to say that, yes, not all forms of leadership go there. We understand that. There's due decorum and all things. And not every relationship and type of relationship can bear that, that intensity. And I understand that, nor should it. Right? But at the same time, and having spoken for so many years with so many executives at the top of their game, the one thing that's constant in all of them is that they want to pour out their knowledge, what they've known, onto someone else. The, the idea of forming a leader underneath you who can continue on your spirit and who, who can attack the world with some of the wisdom that you've worked so hard to attain is a constant desire in the heart of, of every true leader. I mean, I mean, how can you labor for so many years at something so hard as, as finding your way forward in life, fighting for the good, and, and, and then not want to pass that on to someone else? Well, so at its zenith, the end form, the end game of a leader looks like a leader who's able to mentor the next generation, to raise up people underneath them that have that same spirit. There is, in a, in a certain sense, a, a kind of fatherhood or motherhood that one leader can give to the other by coaching them along, by, by, by mentoring the next generation. And it's extremely satisfying to our spirits because it's what we really want, right? I mean, having learned all that we learned, we want to pass it down. But then it's like not even just passing down skills. We want to pass down the wisdom that's guided the whole process. We want to give the next generation something from the inside that will touch their inside, right? That, that'll make a profound difference in their life. Because all of us know that it's not our positions of power that have really helped us along. It's the passion that we've had to use those positions of power to help other people. That, that's really formed us. And so when we look at the Virgin Mary, now we're seeing, oh my goodness, that's exactly what she did with her son and what she did with St. John and St. Peter and the apostles. To say that Mary was the mother of the church means that Mary gave the depths of who she was to the church. That she, she poured out from the inside all of the, the character, the way that she followed the Lord, the knowledge that she had of the word of God, her relationship with Jesus, she made it available to the apostles, to the disciples. Well, all of this means that Mary's influence was something she couldn't fake. It, it was who she was, poured out, just bluntly, right? And therein is the challenge for us as Christian leaders, to lead from the inside, to lead from our character, to lead with who we are, so that we can shape the people that we lead in the most profound ways. You know, I think often of the example of Mother Teresa of Calcutta. I don't know if you remember her. I hope you do, okay, because she was just a remarkable human being who really impacted the world. Everywhere she went, there were photographers and movie cameras and everyone trying to capture a glimpse of this very small nun. I think she was four foot ten, right? 
uh, who went around the world helping people and helping the poorest of the poor. Now she'd go towards the, the, those in slums, those who had nothing else, and she would try to bring love. That was her, her big modus, right? Through charitable works, but also simply through friendship and relationships. And she founded an order of nuns, the Missionaries of Charity, who continued to do that. They take a fourth vow, not only poverty, chastity, and obedience, but also a fourth vow of free, wholehearted service to the poorest of the poor. Mother Teresa won the Nobel Peace Prize and enjoyed the esteem of the whole world. And, and she was able to transform lives very profoundly. And it, people would meet her and then have conversions, come back to God. Or people would meet her and then say that they wanted to do the same that she did. It was almost like her heart was able to, to touch the hearts of those around. And then you want to talk about a leader. I remember when she came to Peoria, Illinois. Uh, she came to Peoria, Illinois, a, a town of about 100,000 people in central Illinois. And the word got out on TV that Mother Teresa had come to central Illinois. And so 10,000 people got in their cars and drove to see her. They gridlocked the area all around the cathedral where she was. And, and the, the line to see her lasted for four hours. And yet their mother Teresa stood all the way through to the end of the line. Everyone wanted to be near her. Why? She had no position of power. She had no authority in society. Mother Teresa had, had forsaken all of that. And yet everyone wanted to be near her. And the reports back from people who saw her both that night in Peoria but then in other occasions, it was always the same. The inspiration, the change of heart, the kind of interior miracles that happened in people's lives just because someone was so authentic and so full of love that being around her transformed them. Right? Now that's, that's an example in, in, in our real day, modern day, of what the, the leadership of the Virgin Mary looks like. Mary leads in, in the most powerful of ways because her influence comes from her heart and is directly addressed to our hearts. And this is something I think we need to try to imitate, understand in the proper way, adjust to our different situations, but that we cannot forsake as an essential quality of what it means to lead as a Christian. We cannot get around it. The only thing worthy of the name Christian leadership is a leadership that flows from our character, from who we are. Would you like to start your Thursday mornings with a scriptural leadership lesson? Join the St. John Leadership Network, where Father Nathan hosts a 30-minute call at 6.30 a.m. in all four U.S. time zones. To learn more, go to www.stjohnleadershipnetwork.org member and join for free today. Let's take a moment just to understand better what the church means by the assumption of the Virgin Mary. One thing is to say what happened, right? And that's that at the end of her earthly pilgrimage, Mary was assumed body and soul into heaven. So we, we get that. But then there's another deeper understanding to say, well, how did this happen? And what does it mean to be assumed body and soul into heaven? And there in the church's tradition, if you look at the, what the saints have said about this event, it all always comes back to the same thing. Love. Love. That, that the assumption into heaven ought to be understood as a union with God described only in terms of a maximal love. I mean, and it makes sense, right? Like if you're brought into heaven, brought into God, 
it's in a, a rapture of love. I mean, for all of us, as when we die, we're going to be close to God in love. It's him coming forward to embrace us, so to speak, right? And him glorifying us by giving us the glory of his son is a gift of love. It's a gift that's done by the Holy Spirit, who is, of course, divine love itself. And what's particularly important about that for our sake is that her queenship, the coronation of Mary as queen of heaven and earth, follows after her assumption. So she's given the authority to rule with Christ as the queen, but she's only given that authority after being assumed in love and for love and as a maximal sign of love for God. And isn't this just a typical way that God teaches us about leadership? Mary does not rule outside of love. Mary does not reign over the universe as a queen outside of the mystery of love. Instead, it's within love that her authority is given its full place. And I think that this is a real challenge for us because honestly, especially in the workplace environment, you know, how am I supposed to live out love? I mean, obviously, especially in today's context, right? Like that interpersonal camaraderie and dimension of work is kind of downplayed. Uh, maybe to our detriment, I have no idea, but in any case, it's something that we feel a little uncomfortable with because uh, the secular environment is a bit brutal in that it really focuses us in on the smallest and most material aspects of our leadership. And if we're not careful, we could end up missing the, the, the really important part of it, which is the, the unity that we have with our workers and the, the bond that unites us as human beings through our work with our customers. But you know what? Like, let's all remember something. We aren't secular leaders. I mean, we're not called to follow the secularist creed when it comes to leadership. We're Christ leaders le leading in a secular environment. And it's so important to remember that for two reasons. Number one, for ourselves, but then number two, for the secular environment. Meaning that we, we hey, look, we are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. If our salt is tasteless, if no one can tell the difference between a Christian manager and a non-Christian manager, well, then it's worthless. It's only good to be thrown out and trampled underfoot, right? I mean, if your light can't be seen, then it's not light, right? So just because the game's parameters are changing and you say, well, it's not so easy to do that anymore, doesn't mean that we're not supposed to do it. Here's three ways that you can do this. The first is by the products and the services that you actually engender. To put love behind them by making them the best that you possibly can. Now, I know it's a little bit removed, but remember that your work itself is your gift. I mean, if you're a plumber or a real estate agent or a dentist or a doctor or a lawyer or whatever you would be in the world, you're providing a service that is needed. And, and remember that by providing, you can provide that service from the heart. There is nothing to stop you from saying that the reason that motivates me every day is to make the world a better world, right? And so and by, by the actual products that we serve. And of course, you're going to see all kinds of opportunities to defend that product and to defend that service from all kinds of forms of diminution or reduction. It takes effort. It takes grit. It takes leadership to get your company and to keep your company delivering the best of products possible to your people and, 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 and the best of services possible at the fairest of prices. 
And yet that's something we can fight for. Second way that we can show love and lead with love is the way that we work. Not just the work that we perform, which is one gift of love, but the way that we effectuate that work itself, our workplace culture, right? So are our workers advancing in who they are? Do they have safe working conditions? Do they have good, comfortable working conditions? Do we pay an adequate wage? Are we training them to advance? You know, is the workplace environment one, in other words, where the work itself benefits the person? It was Pope Pius XII who said, isn't it odd that at the end of an assembly line, we make goods that perfect the world while hurting the workers who produce them? Now, obviously, we can't stand for that. Well, that's going to require a lot of dedication, a lot of extra hours, maybe even, of course, sacrificing something of the bottom line to put more money back into the business itself. It's difficult to do, but it's what love requires right? A love requires a solidarity with my customer. That's the first point. It also requires a solidarity with my colleagues, that my management structures and my reporting mechanisms and the language that I use and the relationships that I foster all be filled with a genuine concern for the good of the people with whom I work and for whom I work, right? And then the third way, of course, is the wealth that we generate by our labor being put out of love to the best of its uses. And of course, that means both, number one, of course, to pay back the shareholders, pay back the, the, the investors, pay back the, the, the people who have invested in the company, but then also to be given to the poor and to help lift up the world with a preferential option for those who are poor. I mean, in the end, it's just really doing good business, right? That's what we, most of us would say, just with a commonsensical kind of way. It would say, I'm a good person doing good business. So I do a good product, I do it well, and I make sure that the benefits that I gain from this are shared. And I say, yes, but let's not be so naive, right? It, without an effort to maintain that level of love, without a spirituality that keeps that love rooted in God, will you really be able to maintain that level of excellence amidst all the pressures that are coming upon you from both the outside and the inside. And I think that experience shows us that no, in fact, we need to be able to follow like Mary in a love affair with Jesus so that the love that we have for Christ always be first. And if our love for Christ is always first, then we won't have to worry that our work will be deformed by the pressures coming from the secular environment. We who are Christians work out of love. We lead out of love, just like our Lord and just like his virgin mother. Dare great things for Christ. Share your feedback with Father Nathan. Send us an email at communications at stjohninstitute.org. That's communications at stjohninstitute.org. And visit www.stjohninstitute.org and sign up for our newsletter to receive updates from Father Nathan.